introduction to the reading today is that the Lutheran Church loves to sing. And I, I think that's one of the things. I, I haven't compared this a lot to other churches because I don't often visit a lot of other churches, but the Lutheran Church we love to sing. Uh, sometimes maybe too much. Like we just want to sing and sing and sing. Lutheran did the funerals. They say, I just want to sing 17 hymns. We say, well, people want to do lunch too. Um, but we, we love to sing. It's what we do. We sing songs of praise and thanksgiving. We sing songs of lament and a lot. Today, in Jeremiah, we're going to be looking at a song that I don't think we'll ever sing in church. Um, and it's not because of the melody. It's maybe more because of the lyrics. Uh, there, it's a song of defeat for enemies. It's a song of their destruction. We're going to be looking at a portion of Jeremiah 51, but really the, so the entire song is Jeremiah 50 and 51. It's a song written for Israel to sing about Babylon's defeat. So listen, we're going to grapple with this today. Jeremiah 51. The sound of a cry comes from Babylon. The sound of great destruction from the land of the Babylonians the Lord will destroy Babylon. He will silence her noisy din. Waves of enemies will rage like great waters. The roar of their voices will resound. A destroyer will come against Babylon. Her warriors will be captured and their bows will be broken for the Lord. I want you to notice all caps. Yahweh. It's not a way we normally think of Yahweh. Yahweh, the Lord, is a God of retribution. He will repay in full. I will make her officials and wise men drunk, her governors of officers and warriors as well. They will sleep forever and not awake, declares the, Lord, the king, whose name is Yahweh Almighty. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Babylon's thick walls, three chariots wide, will be leveled and her high gates set on fire. The people exhaust themselves for nothing. The nation's labor is only fuel for the flames. This is the message Jeremiah the prophet gave to the staff officer Sariah, son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, when he went to Babylon with Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year of his reign. Jeremiah had written on a scroll about all the disasters that would come upon, ba upon Babylon, all that had been recorded concerning Babylon, he said to Sariah, when you get to Babylon, see that you read all these words aloud. Then say, Lord, you have said you will destroy this place so that neither people nor animals will live in it. It will be desolate forever. When you have finished reading this scroll, tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates. Then say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I will bring on her, and her people will fall. The words of Jeremiah end here. This is the word of our God. Be God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, you speak through the prophets and the apostles. 
You speak in your holy word, so speak to us today through that same word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let it all be pleasing in your sight, God. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder how the exiles felt when they heard this song. When they heard Sariah read the words of this song from the scroll. Words about walls, three chariots wide, being brought down to nothing. Words about gates being broken down. Words about a noisy city full of commerce and industry being silenced by an avenger. I wonder how they felt when they saw Sariah tie a stone to the scroll and then hurl it into the depths of the Euphrates. As they watched it sink, these words of prophecy sink to the bottom of the river. And then I wonder how they felt when they heard Sariah say, see that? That's going to happen to Babylon too. I wonder how they felt when they heard these things and saw these things brought to them by the prophet's messenger. I, I can imagine, can't you, that some of them would kind of say, yeah, right. There's this element of disbelief. This people who had been dragged from Israel, who had seen their home destroyed, who had seen their temple destroyed, who had seen their city destroyed, who had seen it all brought down to rubble and to the ground. There's an element of that that saw them now in exile, now under Babylon's thumb, now under evil Nebuchadnezzar's thumb. They looked, they heard these promises and said, God, you didn't save us then. Why are you going to do it now? You ain't going to do it now. Yeah, right. There's certainly, I'm sure, among some of them an element of they just didn't believe what God was saying to them. Jeremiah, you've, you've lied. To, we feel like you've lied to us before. He hadn't. You can't be telling us the truth now. There, there's probably also, at least as I think about this, maybe an element of confusion. Because if you remember this a few weeks ago, we, we heard from Jeremiah 29. And in Jeremiah 29, this is a couple of years before this section of, of, of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, God told the people, I want you to settle down. I want you to build houses. I want you to set up crops. I want you to get married. I want you to have kids. I want you to pray for the peace and prosperity of Babylon. And now God says, I'm going to destroy Babylon. So I can imagine there's an element of confusion too. Well, what, which one is it, God? Do you want us to pray for their prosperity? Do you want us to pray for their destruction? Which one should we hope for? For others, I can imagine there was an element of frustration. You, you know that when you're in that situation, when you're, when you're hurting and you just want it to be over with, you hear these promises and you say, okay, Lord, how long? No revelation. How long, O oh Lord, how long? How, Lord, how long until you deliver us? There's this element of frustration because it hasn't happened yet. You know, that prayer you pray again and again and again, God, would you save me now? And it just never seems to come. That kind of thing. But among the faith-filled, the faithful, double L, 
those who put their trust in the one true God, who had accepted what Jeremiah said, that you're going to be here 70 years, I can imagine that as they heard these words, a song, a song of praise, started to raise up in their hearts. Babylon, their destroyer, Babylon, their arch enemy, was going down. I, I can imagine a little bit like dancing on the grave of the person who heard him. A, a little bit like joy at the, at the verdict of the criminal. Yeah, God! Doesn't that feel weird? To, to think about celebrating the demise and destruction of an entire nation? I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel a little conflicted. On the one hand, if I'm the people of Israel, I can't wait to get Babylon off my back. And on the other hand, it gives me no pleasure to see anyone destroyed, even my worst enemies. How can we pray this kind of thing? How can we sing this kind of song about the death of our enemies? <laughs> That's where, this is where Jeremiah gets hard to like transfer the truth. Like take the truth of Jeremiah 50, 51 and bring it into our lives today. Because you understand this, don't you? That Jeremiah is written to a specific group of people at a specific time, in a specific place, going through certain things, right? This is very historical. In a lot of ways, it's similar to the letters that Paul writes. The letters that Paul writes, like Galatians, it's written to a group of people in a certain place, wrestling with certain things, right? So there's an element to that that doesn't necessarily, it all is truth, but it doesn't necessarily hit the same way it hits us. Right, so how do we do that? How do we get from this place where Israel is in captivity? We're not really in captivity in the same way that they were. Right? Nebuchadnezzar's not over us. <laughs> so how do we bring that? Take Jeremiah 50 and 51, the song of Babylon's destruction, and bring it to our hearts and lives so that we can sing a song of deliverance. One of the ways that the scriptures help us make a connection is Babylon. If you read the rest of the scriptures and look for Babylon, do it, you can do a Google search later if you want to. And look up every instance in the Bible where God talks about Babylon. And sometimes Babylon is referring to a specific country in a specific place at a specific time. The Babylon that we're looking at. But sometimes Babylon is not a reference to a nation at all but rather to the enemies of God's people. And so what you find in Scripture, this is especially true in Revelation. Revelation 18, 19, 20. Read that later. Right? What you find in Revelation 18, 19 is that Babylon is especially a reference to the fallen church and also a reference to all those who hurt us. All the enemies of God's people. So if you're taking notes on the backside, Babylon is an image for all the enemies of God's people. So, so in, in a small sense, right, for the, for the battered woman who believes in Jesus, this is a word for you. Because the one who hurts you is an enemy of God's people. This is, this is a word for, for the child who's suffering abuse. 
in a small sense, right? In, in all of our lives, we feel injustices and inequities and wrongs. We're oppressed by the enemies of God's people. And as, and as that circle, the, ma- the micro p- pictures of your life grow, we, we can see how, how culture oppresses. Have you felt that? How the world around us elevates the choices of people to kill babies and, and denigrates our, the life of the baby? Have you, seen, have you seen in our culture how, how instead of our lives being ordered by our God, we get to decide who we are? Instead of letting God decide who we are and tell us who we are? Right, right, right. Do you see how in our world, how, how, the, how the enemies of God's people, we can see this in the war overseas. As God's people are surrounded and beset on every side, and it's not just the world that's the problem, it's the church too. I hope it's not Mount Lebanon. But do you realize that the Reformation was the church coming after one of God's people? When when the church declared Martin Luther a heretic, they actually invoked God's name and said, Arise, O Lord, and get this heretic Martin Luther out of here. So this man who brought to us the truth of God uncovered it again for us now as an enemy of the church. Babylon. So here we are, all of us in our own places, surrounded by enemies on every side. Like I said, there are some songs that we don't sing in church, and I don't think we ever will. When was the last time you opened up your psalm book and sang one, Psalm 137? Read the last verse. Happy, blessed is the one who dashes your infants against the stone. Sing, let's sing that one next Sunday, right? And we love our Alleluia verses, don't we, right? Who likes your Alleluia verses? We love our Alleluia. Alleluia, sing to Jesus, is the scepter, is the crown. But have you ever sung the triple Hallelujah of Revelation 19? <laughs> hallelujah! For the Babylon, the great harlot, has been thrown down. Verse 1. Verse 2. Hallelujah, for her smoke goes up forever and ever. Verse 3. Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Okay, we can sing that one. But verses 1 and 2 we might have to skip. We don't sing those songs. But should we? (laughs) Could we? With a little bit more of understanding of what it's actually all about. Let me just walk this through, through this with you. When you feel somebody's foot on your neck, what do you want? It's part one, we, we long. We long for deliverance. Right? We long for God to deliver us from the hand of our enemies. You guys can just go back. I don't know where you're at. We, we long for God to deliver us from all of our enemies. Right? That woman in an abusive situation, she wants to get out, right? The kids who feel the pressure of their parents, that's maybe too much. They want to get out, right? We, we want to get out from under the pressures of our culture and society that want to make us a certain way and to think a certain kind of thing. 
We, we long for deliverance for all those things, right? That's the beginning of this, isn't it? We long for the, the foot of our oppressor to be off of our neck. And God promises to be that for us. Guys, can you put this on the screen? Look at this first verse from Isaiah 50. This is part of the same song, just a different section. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people of Israel are oppressed, and the people of Judah as well. All their captors hold them fast, refusing to let them go. Yet their Redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. He will vigorously defend their cause so that he may bring rest to the land, but unrest to those who live in Babylon. Do you see what God promises to do and be for you? When the foot of someone is on your neck, he promises to, I love those words, vigorously defend their cause. So the first thing we should understand is as we long for deliverance, is that God promised to be our deliverer. And the second thing is this. Not only do we long for deliverance, but because God promises to be our deliverer, we expect it. We expect it. Right? We're, We're the people of God, right? Amen? Right? We're the people of God who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We're his people, the sheep of his and if God vigorously rises up to defend our cause, then we can expect, not just wish for, but expect his deliverance. And perhaps you're thinking this because I've heard this before when something happens to us, when somebody does something to us, people say, well, I kind of deserved it. You know, that victim mentality where you feel like you kind of asked for it? I've heard that too many times, right? Where, where we feel, where, I'm just going to stop saying it because I've said it six times in a row. Where we feel like we've deserved and asked for what's coming to us? First of all, first of all, no. And second of all, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not pay us back for our iniquities. That's Psalm 103. Listen to this verse. I love this verse from, from Jeremiah 50. I had trouble picking out like what verses are we going to look at because this one's so cool. In those days at that time, declares the Lord, search, get this, search will be made for Israel's guilt, but there will be none. And for the sins of Judah, but none will be found. For I will forgive the remnant I spare. So in other words, like, like a woman searching through all the cushions of the couch looking for that piece of change, God will look through our lives and rummage through all the drawers trying to find any sort of sin, any sort of charge against us. But because of his forgiveness, he finds none. So if you think to yourself that you somehow deserve this from God, no. Because he finds no fault or sin in you. And second, you're his child. And when you cry out to him like the people of Israel cried out to him in Egypt, when the people, like the people of Israel cried out to him from Babylon, he hears your cry. And in, I love this in Exodus. Sorry, all these things I love. 
There's this flow of verbs in Exodus. God heard, he saw, and God came down. He came down in Christ. He came down in the Red Sea. He came down on Babylon. And he comes down in your life and for eternity to rescue you. Right, so, so just follow, follow with me, stay with me. So we long for deliverance, we expect deliverance. Now understand what deliverance means. Your deliverance means their death. That was a hard thing for me to say, even though I knew I was going to say it. Our deliverance means their death. Let me come down among you and try to say this. If you want to be free from the nature in you that hates God's word, is hostile to God, and that is dead in sin, if you want to be free from that nature that lives in you, then you have to tie a rock in it and throw it into the water. You have to kill it. It has to be killed in order for you to be free. And dear people of God, if you look in the water, there's a rock with your nature tied to it at the bottom of the water. And if you want to be free from sin and guilt that haunt you, that you remember the things that you've done, if you want to be free from that, it has to have a rock to it and thrown into the depths of the sea. That's Micah. Look that up later. God promises there to take all our sins and throw them into the depths of the sea so that they sink, so that when God searches, they will not be found. Your sin has to be killed and drowned if you want to be free from death. The death that's coming for all of us. If you want to be free from death, death has to be killed too. The sting has to be taken away. It, it's curse removed. It has to have a stone to it. And it has to be tied to a rock and thrown into the depths of the sea. And, and if you want to be free from a Satan, that old dragon, that roaring lion who seeks to devour you, then he has to be killed too. He has to be thrown down by Michael the archangel, by Jesus Christ himself, thrown down into the lake of fire, into the prison prepared for him. And if you want to be free from all the people, micro and macro, the little things that in your own life and in the world at large, if you want to be free from all those who oppress us, whether it's personal or cultural or country or world. If you want to be free from them, we have to tie a rock to, us, to them and they have to die. Best case scenario, it's a death like this one. Where the nature in them that hates us and hates God dies. And a new person arises to live before God and to live with us in a brand new relationship. Worst case scenario, it means eternity 
away from God and away from us, never to hurt us again. So, <laughs> how do we live with these things? It's a tension, isn't there? On the one hand, right? Jeremiah 29, right? On the one hand, we pray for the peace and prosperity of the people in our lives. On the one hand, we pray for their salvation. On the one hand, we pray for our enemies and love those who persecute us. Jesus tells us to. We embrace that and we live that. And on the other hand, we live in Jeremiah 51, longing for God to deliver us. Not hoping for their eternal destruction, hoping for their eternal salvation. A death like this and a life like his. We, we live in the middle. We live holding the tension, longing for salvation, longing for deliverance and waiting. Waiting for our Lord Jesus to come and snatch us up and to bring us home and to usher us into eternal peace where no one will hurt us ever again. God, bring it to pass. Come quickly. Amen? Amen. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.